After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download and for joining us here at BaseballAmerica.com. Big time of year, J.J., with the uh, MLB postseason going on. Of, the, of course, everyone's really tuned into the World Cup instead, I'm sure. Baseball World Cup down in Panama that gets uh, uh, very uh, scant media attention. I will note that John was checking the. Uh, I the, have it up the, on my screen right now. The tracker on the uh, on the World Cup. That's not important right the, now. Uh, not the uh, Tigers Rangers, which is starting as we're starting to record this. Is that game starting now? Thought I was like eh, four o'clock. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm tracking the U.S. Panama. U.S. has to win to advance in the uh, medal round win of the World in. Cup. Yeah, winning in, losing you're out, and the U.S. has a you know. Well, they haven't lost as many games in the World Cup since this they used really any ballers. Been, yeah, no, they, they only well, that team lost three games. This team has right. lost three, and if they lose a day, they'll lose four. But they were five and one in round robin play, and if, they were five and two. I thought it was five and one. But well, then, they, then this team has lost more. Then, I mean, since they've been using professionals, the U.S. has always done pretty well in World Cups. So this will be a a disappointment. Even the 2005 team, uh, which is generally acknowledged to be the worst World Cup team they've sent out there, was Lastings Millage, Brian Bannister. And, like, those were the biggest-named players at the time. But Ben Zobris was on that team. Uh, a couple other guys who wound up having decent big league careers. So uh, there's some prospects on that team. Uh, we'll have more on that later in the week but before we get bogged down. This is not the podcast we're doing today. It's not the, These aren't the droids that we're looking for. We want to talk league top 20s, and we want to talk major league postseason with you um, here on the Baseball America podcast. JJ, before we dive into the league top 20s, let's, let's touch on the major league postseason since those are games that people actually care about as opposed to the World Cup. Um not hard to know where almost where to start because it's amazing to see so many of the the top payrolls in baseball are not among the final four teams. And that seems like it's getting the most attention uh, from the national media. That and the fact that baseball's ratings aren't doing great, but that's a whole other show. I, I really have no desire to debate what people watch on TV. But uh, does it say anything you think for the game, good, bad, and different about the fact that the Phillies, and Yankees, and other large market, uh, big revenue teams? are not still standing here at the end in the last four teams? Oh, I, I think it's very hard to argue these days that the key to success is simply to, to buy your uh, championship. That doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. The Yankees start the season almost guaranteed of a playoff spot. Yeah. And in a very tough division because of their payroll. Yeah, they've, they've missed it once in 16 years. So you do have that. That being said... If you, once you get for one, once you get to the, you know, to the postseason, it's it's a short series, so anything can happen. And beyond that, it's amazing how, if you go the free agent route, how how many of those teams are are are, are flawed teams. Yeah, 
the Mets, the Cubs, and the Red Sox this year. Is, and I would say the has, Yankees this year. Like, and not it's funny. It's not what really came back and bit them that much in the playoffs, but that was a flawed rotation. Oh yeah, definitely. That it's amazing to me the Yankees won as many of the games as they did. I really don't know how to assess the 2011 New York Yankees. I mean, I've done their top 30 prospects for seven years now, and I think they have. You know, especially comparing them to the Red Sox, just for example, because they outspend the Red Sox. All that gaps and like it narrows. I was gonna uh, say the Red year. Sox outspend everyone else. Yeah, um, but you know, New York had uh, they have their old guys who are homegrown guys like Posada, Jeter, and Rivera, who to me really don't even count anymore. It's not they're they're certainly homegrown players, but that doesn't reflect the current you know administration and their present player Jeter's development setup. But David David Robertson is a money setup guy. They had a homegrown option better than their free agent option in Rafael Soriano. You know, in the outfield, uh, they they used to buy some outfielders. And now they've and they went out and traded for Granderson. But Brett Gardner's been a very good homegrown option for them. Uh, obviously, Cano's a, a while back, but don't you know, you know he, he's still pretty good. Jesus Montero, I think we got we all saw the flashes this year in the big leagues of why he's had so much hype over the years. He has a chance to be pretty good. And and they're starting pitching. Their number two starter was Ivan Nova, and I know he lost game five. But the guy had a really good rookie season, so I think New York could use more of that and less reliance on the A.J. Burnett's and uh, Freddie Garcia's and Bartolo Colon's of the world as they go forward. But uh, it's also strange that their older team, it's the older guys who really were the problem for them in the postseason. You know, I don't know what they're going to do. I think it was Ken Tremendous who tweeted – you know, if A-Rod were a free agent, would anyone give him close to six years and $143 million? Which is but that's what? what he's owed. You know, that's Is that the worst contract in baseball? It's on the short list for me. Uh, as good as A-Rod, I think, still can be. Uh, no one would give him that kind of money these days. No. And and that's the thing that you, you look at that team. It's also funny to me because I do – one of the things we talk about when we're talking to scouts and all this is people talk about the profile. Is that, right. Is that guy, you know, is that guy a championship level, whatever? And also, it always jumps out when you get to the playoffs, like that. You even championship clubs don't have championship caliber guys at every position. Right. Absolutely. I'm looking at the Brewers, and yeah. I know he's had a great, a great postseason. I'm going to bring this back to the World Cup. I know where you're going. And I know where you're going too. When okay. you're going to take it from, but Uneski Betancourt is not a championship level shortstop. He is not. But as I know, this is I'll set you up. But what is it about Unesky Betancourt in the postseason that, that stands out to you, John? Well, I just was rereading my quotes from the 2005 World Cup coverage, J.J., as I was researching. <laughs> is this the world? I want, I'm been prepared if the U.S. loses in this World Cup and doesn't make the playoffs to the medal round. Is this the world worst World Cup team ever? So I was researching what and I thought was the previous be? one. It will not be. the 2000. It will be in performance. I still don't think it is in talent. Um, well, no, the, but the quote I had from talent-wise yeah. was lower, but it was if I'm it not has counting more success. Them. It's still I'm not counting them. But the 2000, like the 2003, that, that year they sent an indie ball team to the World Cup, is because they sent a, t- uh, a team of you know non 25 man roster players to Panama for the Olympic qualifier. That team choked uh, against Mexico, and it was the manager that choked. I was going to say team. choked. I was going to say Frank Robinson When, you, when you don't start this guy named Joe Maurer because yeah. you know he's too unproven, that. It's probably not a good thing. But the point is that there was a quote in that coverage about how the Cubans are like an NBA team, the scouts said. They can turn it on and turn it off and turn it on. And it's like the, it's like an NBA team in the fourth quarter. Their intensity ratchets up a notch. They all play better in the bright lights. 
And that's been UNESCO. I can't get out of my head with UNESCO Betancourt. And I can't get out of my head with Jose Contreras. And I can't get out of my head with Orlando Hernandez. There have been a few Cuban guys. I'm trying to think of, like, I don't think Yunel Escobar ever played in the postseason. I'm trying to think of other significant Cuban big leaguers who have played in the postseason. Yeah, Aroldis Chapman really didn't have much of an opportunity last year. Um, but UNESCO Betancourt is living up to Levon Hernandez, El Duque, and Jose Contreras of being at his best in October. And at his best, this is a guy who was supposed to be a championship caliber shortstop. He certainly has not been as a major leaguer. He's been a disappointment. But he looks pretty good now. So that, again, ties back into that. Well, let's talk about the National League, J.J. I guess it was a surprise that the Cardinals beat the Phillies. But the way the Phillies uh, had that eight-game late losing streak, and this is really the way the Cardinals were playing late in the year, it really shouldn't be a surprise the way that St. Louis was playing well. What do you think this means for Philadelphia, especially now this injury to Ryan Howard that's going to keep oh, him uh, out? I- for maybe part, much of, if not all, of next season, I think that they are I, troubles too strong word because they're still going to have they're the best rotation in baseball. But that being said, this lineup keeps getting older, keeps getting worse, and I don't know if there's that much they can do to help that. They really have uh, some interesting questions because I'm not sure who they have internally where they could replace Howard outside of. Uh, John Mayberry Jr. moving into first base, and you play Dominic Brown in the out. And I think that's their most plausible one right now is Dominic Brown and Pence on the corners, Victorino in center field. And you just move Mayberry Jr. to first base. And, yeah, John Mayberry Jr. had a great You're year this a, year. You're not a big uh, uh, Matt Rosati fan? I am not a big Matt Rosati fan. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't get more Matt Rosati questions in my Eastern League chat. Um, and the guy For a guy who doesn't get on their 40-man roster after the year he had last year, that's enough. Matt Rosati uh, analysis for me. Um, but they really don't have – to me, I thought that moving forward for them, their best trade chip might wind up being Dominic Brown because I think that John Mayberry Jr. fits a lot better for them going forward in the next two or three years where their window is than Dominic Brown does. Now I don't know if they can trade Dominic Brown. Right now they look like they need him to be an everyday guy in left field with, with Mayberry at first if they don't want to go outside the organization – and then what do they do at shortstop? That's their other big question. That's the immediate question um, is Jimmy Rollins. And, of course, the question that everyone talks about with Ryan Howard, you know, he slugged under 500 this year. Uh, 488 uh, slugging. Is, is, is that, that the worst contract that, in baseball? I was going to say, the good news is he's only got six years left on that deal. Uh, I think it's just four. That- he, he hasn't started yet. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a four. That's I'm checking all Cots baseball contracts. But to my knowledge, oh, well, well, let's just look. But, I mean, that it's $25 million a year, right? It's, uh, it's a lot of money for a lot of years. It's five more years. It's five years uh, through 2016 um, at $25 million a piece. Start well, no, next year $20 million, $20 million, 25, 25, 25 in 2016. Again, let's, the best way to put it is $10 million is, buyout in 2017. The best way to put it is if Ryan Howard, pre Achilles injury, hit the free agent market right now. I don't think, I don't think he'd get that. No, I don't think he'd get that. He would get less than Prince Fielder, and he'd certainly get less than Albert Pujols. Both of whom are about to hit the free agent market and are by the way, which facing is going to be each an other interesting in offseason because of that. Like I know, that I think Ken Rosenthal or someone tweeted recently that, and that the Reds they're not shopping Joey Votto, but they'll at least listen because Votto's coming closer to free agency. They, they certainly should. Right now, so what that means is if Votto's available, 
plenty of good free eight, uh, first baseman available this offseason. Yes, the market uh, the market will the market will bear as Tex Cobb said what the market will bear. Uh, the price will be what the market will bear uh, in uh, today's raising Arizona reference. But to me, I mean, I, I, we talked about this during the year. I mean, I loved that Joey uh, Joey Bats for Joey Votto uh, trade idea, the Jose Batista. And bringing Joey Votto home to Toronto—that was the most bold trade proposal I saw all year. Boldest trade rumor of the year for for me was that one. But uh, so the Phillies have questions going forward. I I, I wonder what they'll do at shortstop. Um, they certainly JJ don't seem to have a viable candidate in their organization uh, who can step in in 2012. They they Freddie Galvis could step in defensively. But he and didn't even make, eighth and you would, yeah, that's right. He didn't even make our Eastern League top twenty. This might be a good way to transition into our into our league top twenties. Um, you know, the Phillies. We, we're going to have a breakdown online of by organization. Uh, we, we we thought we'd start off a little bit with just kind of which leagues were the best leagues, well, and let's talk I, about I, our I, leagues. A little I was going to say let's let's explain a little bit, and we don't have to go too much. I think we've just explained it before, but the process for this, when you yeah. look at these lists, these lists are. The I would call it almost the rough draft. Like this is the the first take as we kind of head down the road towards top 100. And with that, we have top. You know, we, before that, we have the top 10s that go in the issue, right? And the top 30s that go in the handbook. Not that this is like we don't we don't throw this together. We do a lot of calls and all, right? But this is in the context. There is a league context to this, and it's a different look. It's really a player development look more than a scouting look. Uh, you get scouts, we get scouts' opinions, and those matter, but we also get a lot of managers' opinions, and that matters as much in these league, league lists. For me, it really kind of helps me go in a certain direction. And I'll give an example in the Eastern League, JJ. The managers I talked to who saw Matt Harvey, uh, and Matt Harvey was number two in the Florida State League. He was number, he did not make my list in the Eastern right. League. And that's something that, that, that's a good way to explain, like, yeah how these very much are in the context of the league. He wasn't so much worse in the Eastern League, but his stuff was inconsistent, and that's to be expected. A, it's his first full pro season, and he's in double A. B, it's his longest season of his career. C, uh, you know, some of the guys in the Eastern League uh, the, who may have seen him good, I didn't talk to. Uh, just the, the guys that I talked to happened to see him when he was inconsistent. The velocity was up and down, didn't hold it longer into games. They saw flashes you know, my first couple of iterations of the list had Matt Harvey on the list, but that league was also pretty loaded. I like that league. Uh, I, I think the Eastern League had a lot of talent this year, and just kind of pushing guys into the list. And then it was a scout's opinion, really, that put me over the top on Adiani Hechevaria, you know, a scout who saw him last year and did not like him. I didn't rank him in the Eastern League, who really talked about, despite the fact that he didn't produce in that league this year, he thought the swing was better, the offensive approach was better. And then you saw Hechevaria go on to AAA and do really well. So there was there really Vegas, we have to say Las, it was Las Vegas. But you just the uh, wonderful uh, uh, performance enhancer of it the is it's the best the, the the PCL is the best performance enhancer. But you really just had uh, I really just had too many guys to rank basically in the in the, in the so, uh, Joe Benson's another guy in the Eastern League who I easily could have ranked. All these this was not a problem for you. No, in past years I've done the Florida State League. This year I switched over to the Carolina League. And the Carolina League is a reminder that not all top 20s are created equal. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Because, And that's one thing that's worth noting. Like I'm working on a story for this issue where we're looking back at five years ago and looking at, okay, so how did the, 
everything turn out, you know, which guys became big leaguers and all that. And the thing that jumps out is, is that for one, we talk about ceiling and all, but the reality of it is, is that the guys you see on this AAA list are going to be big leaguers. Right. The guys you see on this Sally League and Midwest League list, some of them are going to become stars, and probably a couple of them will never reach the big leagues. Right. Because every level you climb is a great a great leveler that basically sifts out some prospects. Like that's, oh, on, that's on your laptop, right? That uh, research yeah. you've been doing? You might have to go get that research because that's actually a pretty interesting podcast well, I can, topic. I was going to say, I, can, I think I have somewhat of it in my head. So that's, can... that's pretty fascinating stuff, breaking down our five years ago uh, lists. And you know, we run those lists, and it's always good to see the list that you may have done for those of us who have been around a while. I say, oh, thank goodness, lots of asterisks, you know. Um, but the but, funny thing is, it's like, yeah, it's like well, taking it beyond the asterisk because the asterisk the asterisk just means they got to the, the major leagues. leagues. That's which, all. So that would be like, hey, Mike Tonus, have you ever made a top 20? Because he's on my mind because he's on the Greek uh, World Baseball World Cup team. He got there for six plate appearances and went 0 for 2, I believe. But that's an asterisk. an asterisk if you ever made a league top 20. You want to, you want to go a little bit beyond that. So um, when we look at our what our leagues did five years from today – well, we're hoping for more than asterisks. We're hoping for impact, just like major league clubs are doing it, because we want to be, we want to find impact. And the worst, the, the less than that, we want to. I'm not saying it correctly. It would be worse if you find guys outside the top 20 who made more impact than the guys inside the top 20. And there will be. A, I'll tell you right now, there will be a couple. Yeah. Because right. there are late bloomers. Well, on the pitching side, pitching is a much more. Uh, it's funny. We both talk about we that pitching is. Pitching is much more interesting in some ways because for us, yeah, for us because there's so much to it and it can change on a dime. A guy can be awful this year and next year adds a pitch and right. it makes an entirely you know a hitter can hit generally. You know, you're talking about yes when you're talking about a Midwest League guy, a 19 year old, and he has flaws that he's going to work on. Right. But most of I've been doing all these draft report card calls, JJ, and on that point, I keep asking. Scouts and scouting directors the same thing. Most of these guys are saying a hitter either has it or he doesn't. Either has natural timing, natural hitting rhythm, hand-eye, and bat-to-ball skills, or he doesn't. Those aren't things that they're talking about that are taught. That seems to be you have to scout for that. Now, there can be an approach issue. We see it with guys like Josh Vitters, where guys may have all those skills, or Jeff Francoeur, and they're not patient enough to bring those out. Um, Talking to the Royals today, for example, they they seem to think that Francoeur just getting into Kansas City less pressure and also being less bulky. He basically tried to be more athletic and tried to worry less about home run power this year, more about flexibility. That helped him. But that is a guy who has natural bat-to-ball skills, and his approach is what made him a below-average hitter for those years. So so there's there's that aspect to hitting, but most of the rest of it is, I think, that's more scouting, and I think pitching has a lot more development pitching, involved. Because of pitching, you can be a guy who can't find strikes in one year, and the next year he makes a mechanical tweak, right. and he essentially learns how to pitch. Right, exactly. I mean, you can't – the things that you really can't teach in pitching is you can't really teach arm speed. Right. You can right. work on it, but you either have arm speed or you right. don't. Right, You know, But you when it comes to location, when it comes to – you know, I know we've heard scouts talk about, well, you know, you can't really – a guy can spin a breaking ball or he can't. Yes. There's a lot of scouts who believe that. That being said, if you can't spin a breaking ball, there's also about three other things they can teach you. That's right. They can teach you a cutter. 
there, there, yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of things like that, and yeah, changeup can be an equalizer for you as well. You can have you can have four pitches that are fastballs, basically, just with different grips, you know, depending on the teacher. A cutter, a two seamer, a four seamer, a changeup are all basically throwing the same motion and same release point. But that being said, it's funny, but we we, we also ranked. We looked at the uh, the leagues, and the IL is a five star league. And speaking of pitchers, if you yeah. have Matt Moore and Julio Tehran at the top of your list, you're you're going to be a five-star league probably. I didn't do these rankings all by myself, but I was the point man for these league rankings, and I just thought it was really unusual not just to see the International League have um, impact guys like that, like Desmond Jennings also is in that league, um, Jesus Montero, but the most of those guys were young. Matt Moore's, I wouldn't say he was young for the league, but he was very appropriate. Julio Tehran, very young for the league. Jesus Montero, very young for the league. Um, and then you talk about impact. I'm, you know, I'm thinking guys like Kipnis and Mesoraco, uh, and I, I like Brad Peacock, uh, Zach Cozart, all the way down to 11. That's a everyday shortstop. There are not a lot of everyday shortstops in it. And when you're looking at full season minor leagues, um, so I, I like. We'll put this way, Vance Worley, who already has had some impact at the big league level, right. 15. Exactly. So I thought that league was pretty loaded, and again, I thought it was pretty young uh, for that uh, for that level. And I thought that the same, some, somewhat the same was true for the for the international league. Again, young talent in the IL, I mean I PCL, mean, I should yeah. say, with Lowry, Ackley, Mustakas, um, you know, even uh, Jordan Lyles back at nine, who obviously kind of uh, used up his big league eligibility. Martin Perez. It was a pretty young league, and most of those guys were young and held their own. Martin Perez was pretty much just young. Um, Which that's unfortunately, probably, that's what I was going to say. That's been the Martin Perez qualifier for. Multiple years now. He's starting to almost be like a pitching version of Wilmer Flores. It's not that bad because it sounds like his pitchers are still his pitchers are still good, whereas Wilmer Flores, the tools don't sound as loud as they used to be. People are very split on Wilmer Flores. I don't get as much of a split on Martin Perez. I would say more of a I compare it to another pitcher, which is Casey Kelly. Yeah, but Casey Kelly, there are good excuses I would say for Casey Kelly. You know, only focusing on pitching. Really, this is what his second full year as a pitcher. I mean that that doesn't matter, you know. Um, and also, as a guy, was a two-sport guy at high school, and then a two-way player his first year in pro ball. Um, I think there are legitimate excuses for Casey Kelly yeah, not but having still, but still, taking a while. I was gonna say, but you still can with with him. You still can wonder. He gets hit awfully right. hard for a guy who has really good stuff. I don't disagree with that at all. I don't disagree with that at all. I think that's the explanation for that. That make that does make sense is. Learning to pitch and feel for pitch are things that come with experience, and he say, lacks but, experience. But along those lines, it is worth noting, Martin Perez, you know, who had a better – he was there shorter, but had a better year in double-A when the two of them were in double-A. He's still younger than Casey Kelly. Right, right. Absolutely. And when you say, like, you know, I yes. And he's, he's left-handed. He's left-handed. So Casey Kelly's not in that top echelon of prospects anymore for me because of the reasons you're talking about. But I'm not writing that guy off either. By oh, I'm not writing him off. No, no. Yes, he's – He's still a person of interest for me. Right. What I'm saying is, is those are two guys who are in the upper minors, pitchers who have really good stuff and haven't always had the results that match that stuff. Right. No no doubt. Don't disagree there. Um, on so the, do you the, have a – I'll ask you. Do you have yeah. a cheese ball? As, as John, if you had, to, to, <laughs> to throw the Baseball America lexicon out there, John came up with personal cheese ball many, many years ago now, but – do you have a guy who stands out to you, not because he's one of the top ten prospects in the game, but a guy that you think, you know what, I really like? Well, Brad Peacock is probably the guy who, I mean, not, you know, looking at the Eastern League list, J.J., I wound up ranking him ahead of Jacob Turner and Manny Banuelos. Those two guys clearly have more pedigree 
the Brad Peacock, but um, and maybe I'm falling into the same trap. Yeah, but Brad keep and I'll, I'll preface this with a story. I was talking to Damon Oppenheimer for the Yankees draft report card. These are no secret that we talked to the sky directors. Um, but I was talking to him about you know my Yankees ranking from last year, and I ranked Hector Noesi seventh in their top thirty, and Ivan Nova thirteenth. And I explained to him the reason why I did that was Noesi has better fastball command. Uh, you know that makes you more likely to be a starter. Yada yada yada. And he said nine out of ten times you're right. You know he, he told me he broke down off the record why he thinks Nova made the strides that he made this year. But he basically said that the approach, he said, like, don't, I would not deviate from that approach, ranking prospects the way you're doing it. And so that leads me to feel confident in Brad Peacock because Brad Key Peacock mowed through double-A AA and AAA lineups basically with his fastball. His secondary pitches flash above average, and they're generally average, both a curveball and a changeup. But he just is 92 to 94, touches 97 when he needs it, and has a quick arm and is athletic and probably has fringe average major league command. And he gets swings and misses with the fastball in the strike zone. There's something to that. So uh, Manny Benuelos has three-plus pitches. that Brad Peacock, Peacock does not. But Brad Peacock does a lot more quality strikes with his fastball. Jacob Turner has three-plus pitches, but he pitches off his fastball a lot less frequently than Brad Peacock. And so, uh, so I, you know, I'm sure that when we do a top 100, that Jim Callis and Will Lingo and J.J. Cooper and whoever else in our office does a top 100 will not have Peacock ahead of those two guys. I probably will. Uh, maybe behind Ben Wellis because Ben Wellis is left-handed. And we'll see what you know, these guys do in winter ball in the fall. But I was encouraged. You can't go too much off September either. But I was pretty encouraged by Brad Peacock doing the same formula in the major leagues uh, and, and having success at the end of the year where his velocity was more down to like 90-93. So I'm I'm a Brad Peacock guy. Uh, uh, I like the fact that Aaron Fit went out on a limb on him last year. He was number 10 in the Nationals uh, top 10, and really burst out this year. And I don't think there's any question he's a starter. That's number one, uh, despite his lack of size. And number two, I think he's more than a starter. I think he's gonna be like a number three starter and slots in very well with a Strasburg, a Jordan Zimmerman, uh, a Detweiler, uh, a John Lannon into next year's. Nationals rotation and then uh, kind of holds that group holds the floor while more reinforcements get there. Uh, perhaps a Matt Perk sooner than later. Um, guy that jumped out to me doing the Carolina League was Jonathan Scope. Yeah, who, who was one of those guys? Every year it seems like there's a guy who, when you start your calls, you think's going to make the list, or maybe sometimes not even going to make the list. And as you do call after call, you go, "Wow, this guy really." The impression around this league is this guy's a good bit better than what I thought he was coming in. Okay. Not that scope. Not that I didn't think he was a solid prospect, but you were getting guys saying, "You know what? I don't." There, there were guys who were saying, "I don't think there's that much separation between him and Machado." Yeah, that that was interesting when you said that. There's, you know, and they said, "I, I think he can play third. I think he can play second. I think he can play short. He's not going to play short right now because." Right. You know, and they said, you know, I had one guy mention, he said he thought he was playing second because there's a possibility that Machado eventually would have to move to third. Right. So get comfortable at a position that's not going to get blocked by that. And but, Scope's playing second for the Netherlands when he plays in the World uh, the World Cup. Um, everything D. D. back to the World D. Cup. D.D. Gregoria is playing shortstop. Right. And, but, but he's the guy who stands out from that standpoint of a, a guy who is better than I, I thought it was coming in. Now, not all those, like I think of, Many years ago now, Matt Kemp was that guy. When I was doing Florida State League calls, and it's like, you know, Matt Kemp's better than I thought he was. He's got to go right up. The year before that, Joel Guzman was better than I thought he was. And 
So it doesn't always two out work three, out. Two out of three ain't bad. I think Jonathan Scope will be better. And, you know, in your Carolina League list, um, one of the things that stood out when we were I was reviewing all the league top 20s, and we gave the Carolina League list uh, one star. For me, the biggest thing is that it, I, I thought it ran out. Really, when you get into, like, number seven, eight, you know, I like Jake Odorizzi. I like Bryce Brents. Uh, Joe Wyland's like a back of the rotation profile. And I like Joe Wyland. I love them at a Bishop, uh, what is he, Bishop, uh, uh, Bishop Minogue High School in Reno. I love them out of the, out of high school. Um, but Andleton Simmons is one of my cheese balls in the whole minor leagues. I think it's interesting with the Braves system. They draft Nick Ahmed out of UConn this year. Uh, so a college shortstop with some upside, but we'll see. There's, you know, he had a. I think it's too early to evaluate what he's going to do because he had a punctured lung in the spring, and I don't think it was 100% healthy this summer. But they moved last year's top draft pick, Matt Lipka, to center field in instructional league, and I think a big reason for that is Tyler Pasternicki ahead of him at AAA, and then Anderson Simmons. Right. At, uh, they at say high. it's just because of the opportunity. You know, they need a center right. fielder, all that. We always say that. I, I think it's because Matt Lipka was never going to be the shortstop that. Anderson Simmons is. Yeah. I don't think there's much question on that. I was talking to like, talking to a scouting director about this year's draft, and he said, like, he just said, take, for example, Colton Wong. Colton Wong is not ever going to be better. He, thought, like, he was explaining why he thought it was a mediocre draft. He said, well, Colton Wong was a consensus first-round pick. He didn't think Colton Wong would ever be better. He was comparing him to his big league team second baseman and said, like, no way. There's just no way. He, he doesn't measure up in any, in any way. So for him, that ruled out this guy's not a regular – not a first division regular, so I'm not taking a guy like that in the first round. And if that's the kind of draft this is, then I don't think it's a good draft. Um, Anderson Simmons doesn't seem like he's necessarily a classic profile shortstop, but there aren't a lot of great shortstops in the minor leagues, and he seems like he could definitely well, play the position. And the other thing is, is we have to recalibrate our idea of what a shortstop is. Because I agree. We're not. This is not the trinity of Jeter, Garcia, Parra, and A-Rod, where you say, well, yeah. to be a first division shortstop, you need to play solid defense while, you know, hitting 300 right, with, with 20 power. homers. Because yeah, exactly. that's not – I mean, just look around. Again, Uneski Betancourt is playing. That's you know. right. Troy Tulowitzki ain't walking through that door for a lot of clubs. Right. And the thing about it is, is like what Simmons does have is had multiple guys in that league say, you can't throw a fastball by him. He's got good – He's got quick hands, good hand-eye. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be an offensive force necessarily. Right. Doesn't have a whole lot of power. But it does give you an idea that he can be a successful, you know, big league shortstop who gives you defense and a solid bat. Right. I mean, he's a, probably a bottom-of-the-order, a bottom you know, six, seven, eight-hole hitter in the National League. But does he have a chance to be – uh, like young Alice Gonzalez defensively? Well, yes, it sounds like he does, if not better. Um, no, he he was He's pretty interesting. He's got to have an arm, if nothing else. It's, it's, for, it's, a for Carl, it's a for college arm. Did it bother you, though, that I gave them a number no. a one star? No, okay. I, I, I'd be honest. I, again, coming from the Florida State League in past years, it really felt like I was ranking guys from 11 to 20 who would have been in that 20, 21 to 25 range. Right. Um, now, now, the South Atlantic League and uh, got five stars, JJ. Let's talk a little bit about the Sally League. Because this league was pretty loaded. Very you got, loaded. got uh, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and Jameson Tayo in the first three picks from the 2010 draft, all in the top four. But there's Jerickson Profar say, breaking his in, way in. Not one, two, three. Not one, two, three. And there's Profar and, busting his way in. And, you know, we've talked about this, I think, on past podcasts or on the on the radio show on Sirius XM, which is on hiatus for the month of October, by the we'll way. We'll be back. 
We will be back. And also on the on the Twitter machine, uh, Japers413, of course, uh, Japers hit us up um, asking when the organization top ten lists start hitting the site. I believe October 31st is uh, is when that starts because this issue that we're working on goes to press uh, the 11th, 12th, and 13th. That means the top tens go to press 25th, 26th, 27th. Yep, so the real, that would mean October, October 31st. Sounds right. Would That's be, Pencil, tentative. pencil that in. Pencil that in. But right now, I believe we're talking about the uh, National League East is where we're going to start this so year. So probably looking the Braves on the 31st as a guess. So, so we'll see where Andleton Simmons uh, factors in there with the Braves. Uh, but this this South Atlantic League list, JJ, I think we might look back at this list and just in a couple of years and see 20 asterisks, and we're going to see some impact out of this draft, out of this uh, class. Uh, oh, there get, there are some guys. There are guys from like, well, seven to ten on this list who you say, okay, I could see that guy if everything breaks right, being an all star. It wouldn't shock me if all ten of the top ten guys are in our top one hundred, for example. Uh, I would, I would almost expect yeah. that to happen. Yeah, Xander I'm not Bogarts sure if that's ten. I'm I not sure if that's him. true of any of the other top tens. I could see Xander Bogarts on our top. He'd be, 100. A, he'd be a top one hundred, a number one hundred type of guy, uh, if not a little right. bit higher because of his upside. Still pretty raw. I mean, let's you know the guy did only hit two sixty, three twenty four. But he did slug five hundred. an eighteen year old. That's right. Huge power potential. Um, and a guy who's playing shortstop. I mean, do right, right. You got lots of, and then you have like real risky types in the second half of this list, like Trace Thompson or Tyler Matzik or Domingo Santana, guys who are real boomer bust guys. But I, you know, that's the kind of guy you should rank in a South Atlantic League top twenty for me. You should at this at this kind of league. You want to aim high, right? You know? The guy I don't believe in in this in this twenty is Tyler Matzik. Yeah, I have to say that uh, I don't believe him. I've talked to uh, that's nothing as Tyler, but it's just I, right. I just I I'll, let me just say I don't believe. I don't see right now personally if I was ranking and I didn't make those calls. Right, but I don't I I don't see it. I don't think you're seeing enough flashes yet for him to be a top twenty guy. Yeah, it's it's just flashes, right. and he's I, two years out from having been the eleventh overall pick in the draft. And he's not from like you know Wyoming, like Bryce and Nima. Uh, he's not like from the Northeast. He's from Southern California. Those ca- high school kids from Southern California are supposed to be a little bit more polished than he's shown. Well, and I've I've asked pretty much every scouting director I've talked to for these draft report cards. They've all never heard of anything like uh, they can't remember a story of a guy being sent home to work with his personal pitching coach. They've heard stories of a guy getting sent home maybe to reset or just to get away, or you take a guy like an Elijah Dukes. I'm not just using this because of the makeup, but it was a guy who like got suspended in Charleston and then just changed his venue. All right, we're sending you to Bakersfield. I've, I've seen that happen with players where a player just is getting off to a terrible start, so they either send him down or move into another similar affiliate just to get hope a change of scenery helps. Right. But what happened with him being sent home to your home pitching coach? I think actually the Rockies are kind of to be commended for going right. outside the but box like that. But I was going to say the thing that jumps out to me though he's got to show I don't more think than flashes. He has the arm speed right now. Right, that's what it sounds like is is not what it was in high school. Like uh, you know, he, he, when you see a slower arm, we talked about arm speed. You can't. It's hard to develop arm speed if you don't have it. It's and also, he had it, but, but it's also like he lost hard it. if you lose it. To, you know, it's not something that you just find it lying behind the tree. You know, back behind the you know behind the park. It's strange to. To hear that, you just don't hear that too much about a young player. You hear older players who lose arm speed, not right, twenty, not old. twenty years yeah. old, not twenty year olds exactly. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. Um, Rich Wilson also asked us on tw- on Twitter. Rich Rich Wilson FSG higher ceiling Tawan Walker 
or Jamison Tyone. And Tawan Walker was number one in our Midwest League top 20. That was a little bit of a surprise, JJ. Jamison Tyone of four. It sounds like it's still Tyone. Uh, this quote from American League scout that our Bill Ballou got, with his height, actions, and overall mound presence, he looks like an ace. Um, I, I, I'm still going to bank on Tyone kind of like being a, a kinder, gentler Josh Beckett is like the quote that Jim it's, got. But Tyone Walker sounds pretty intriguing. Right. And it's funny, but like – this is something this is to me an example of how when you look at low A numbers you you have to take them somewhat with a grain of salt. Right. You're looking for strikeouts, you're looking for a few walks, you're looking for a few hits, all those things. But when we talked to Tyone on the uh, Baseball America show on, on Sirius XM. Yeah. I missed that show, but it sounds like a good conversation. Tyone explained how he was on a pitch count where basically I think it was seventy five or five. Right. And it did not matter. He was not pitching the sixth. No if matter he, what. If he was at 12 pitches somehow, well, he, <laughs> he could be at 12. If he was at 25 pitches after five, he yeah. was done. But the thing you knew with that was, okay, well, guys like getting wins. Right, right. So he said he had to very much not pitch for strikeouts because, you know, pitch for, you know, weak contact because that was the only way he was going to get to the fifth inning. He never pitched in the sixth inning all season. And so now that doesn't mean that doesn't just excuse I mean his numbers this year I thought were good, but they were not they were not right. dominant by any stretch. But that is something that you have to kind of file away is that okay, first year pro ball on a very on basically a straight jacket right. of, of limitations. <laughs> right. So if you're looking at it and going, Man, I expect a guy like that to strike out more batters. Well, to even a good pitchers dominating to strike out you're talking five or so pitches at least per batter yeah yeah well he looked at it as okay if i do that i'm i'm gonna go oh and i might go oh and ten this year right right which two and three is a pretty good accomplishment when you can't when you're not allowed to go more than five innings and i think the fact that he struck out more than a guy in inning is a pretty impressive accomplishment when he was trying to go for pitch efficiency um and you really see it for him inning by inning and and that doesn't progression now Next year, a little looser, I would expect you'll see more strikeouts from right. him. Because for all the talk about pitching to weak contact and all, the reality is is that getting strikeouts in the minor leagues is a good sign that you're going to be uh, a successful big leaguer because if you don't have a swing and miss pitch, it's really tough to get outs in the big leagues. Yeah, and even hits allowed is, I don't know if it's a worthless stat, but when you see what teams do defensively now in the major leagues and how much defense – positioning, the extra information they have, I don't believe 100%, especially, well, I don't believe a lot in uh, defense-independent pitching stats as far as, like, I understand they're predictive, but I prefer to focus, like, for awards and things like that on what actually happened, not what maybe should have happened or could have happened or what might happen in the future. Um, But, like, in the minor leagues, I don't think hit totals really are indicative of anything because your defense is so much worse, especially at a low Class A level, than it is as you go up up in levels. Again, I, I, the closer you get to the big leagues, the more the stats matter. But I think we've even seen, J.J., that, and I've talked to a couple of pro scouts about this, the gap between AAA and the big leagues keeps widening because the big league level has the, the, the scouting at that level. Just, it just is, well, it keeps getting but, so good. I think AAA's gotten better. Out is, is that, but the scouting, you, just, you said it, though. At the big league level, it's batter by batter, positioning and all that. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked to guys this year who said, Triple A level, there are no scouting reports. Nothing. 
Yep, we'll just go out there and what you know. Hey, Catcher, have you seen this guy before? Yeah, I know a little bit about him. Oh, yeah, I used to right. be – I played against him in college, and he did this. That's that's your scouting right. report. So th- that's just the uh, – that is such a dramatic difference between big league level where every out, yeah. every at-bat is by scrutinized, yep. And at the AAA level where it's get your work in and hopefully get up to the big leagues where every at-bat is scrutinized. That's right, that's right. And the other part of that, I guess, also uh, that, that's different at the AAA level uh, I, I I thought the level of AAA play, play was getting better, and I think it is in some ways it's because there are more good AAA veterans who stick around a little bit longer. But if you're – the the guys who are like Dominic Brown, who are athletic, have something of an advanced approach, but are allowed to – but who stick around AAA a little bit longer, or I'm trying to think of you, any prospects who were AAA this year who didn't, didn't think should have, needed to be in AAA? I can't really think. Yeah, that's it. But he was in AAA for like a month. Right. You know, a uh, month and a half tops. So usually if well, you're pretty good in AAA, even Matt Moore, I mean, like if the you know if the Rays had not – if the Rays had been eliminated a little bit earlier, if they have been 10 or 11 games back instead of nine and a half, they probably don't even bring Matt Moore up. Well, but the thing that jumps out with that is, is that – and we've had – you know, I've had people in baseball, and I think you have too, have said, you know, in some ways – I'm trying to remember, there was one team explained to me this way, that they thought that for their hitters, AAA, I want to make sure I get this in the right order. For, I can't remember whether it was hitters or pitchers. In one case, they thought AAA was not that important, but for the other, they thought it was. Hmm. And I think it was that they thought that for hitters, AAA had some importance because in, at the AAA level, you're going to face basically junk ballers, which right. is a kind of final refining process. It's almost like a better version of the Mexican league. Right. <laughs> you know, Mexican winter ball. I'm you're going to face of. a lot of veterans who may not throw as hard as the guys you faced in double A, but. But they do have command. Usually those guys have in AAA command, have command. They don't have stuff. They have command. They're going to throw you a curveball 0 They're going to throw a lot, you a curveball right. 3-0. They're going to show, you're going to see a lot more velocity in the lower levels of the minor leagues than you see in the, but, in the upper levels. But they said the, at the flip side with pitchers, it was not as important, they didn't think, because if you have a really good fastball, there's a lot of hitters in AAA who... Slider bat speed. Slider bat speed. So you could actually dominate more with your fastball in AAA some cases they thought than you could in AA. That makes sense. You you see quicker bats in AA. And the other thing about AAA that I think is fascinating, I know we're on a little bit of a, ta- a tangent, but we've talked about this and needing to do this, as a, a needing to explore this story, but catchers in AAA, how do you learn to handle a pitching staff in the big leagues and how do you learn as a catcher to process all the scouting information and all the information that you have to help your pitcher and a manager staff? And there's nothing in the minor leagues to train you to do that. I mean, you just think about how hard it is to be a catcher. Maybe that's why Matt Wieters has taken a couple years to start showing the signs that, hey, he's Matt Wieters, the Chuck Norris of prospects. Or a guy like a JPR and CBR, Wilson Ramos. Ramos had a really nice year offensively and, it seems like, defensively for the Nationals. And uh, that's a tough job, and it certainly helped that he wasn't the guy who had to go out there every single day uh, but again, you, the catchers in the postseason that are, you know, Mike Napoli wasn't supposed to be good enough to be a profile uh, Final Four catcher. Alex Avila, a guy I definitely missed in the Eastern League a couple of years ago, never had oh. anyone in the Eastern League who said, My, Al, uh, Alex I was Avila. An Avila fan. You were. And even a scout I talked to this year on Eastern League coverage, I asked him, What did you have on Alex Avila a couple of years ago? Because, you know, I liked the bat better than what you had because I read in my notes. He said, no, I like the bat better than that. I didn't talk to this scout that year. 
He said, but I did, uh, I did think the defense would relegate him to backup. I did not think defensively he had the which chops funny, to be a regular. Which is funny because we, talk, crazy? we hear that a lot. And the thing about it is that there's a lot of teams where I don't think that they're willing to carry that guy as a backup. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think that there's a lot of teams that the backup has to be the better defensive guy in some ways. Yeah, the backup is is essentially the caddy who catch and throw, and when you play offense, run into one every once in a while. I have the power to run the ball into it, but you can't. We don't expect you to hit better than two twenty. Basically, the Sal Fasano, Mark Parent, uh, right. model from the nineties, not the Hector Villanueva model. Both guys that I've had in my retro fantasy league is why they, they both pop into my mind. Hector Villanueva pops in my mind because he was the true. Bat first, no glove catcher. Bat first, bat second, run third, defense fourth, and he couldn't run. No, he probably say, wasn't that. I was gonna say he was probably. <laughs> run, I have to say, run fifth on him because he might he have was, been a ten runner. He, he may have been a zero. Um, but you see, but like Yadier Molina is really the only, you know, classic profile two way catcher because Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, you know, kudos to Jonathan Lucroy for being an everyday catcher in the big league. I, I thought he was kind of like a fringy type guy. And, He's been just enough, basically, I think, for the Brewers. I mean, he's not an asset. He's not bringing a ton to their table, but catcher is not a negative but for the Brewers. This, this, this may be the way to wrap this up because it ties yeah. into everything. We're doing top tens and all that. How does it tie in the World Cup? Oh, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> okay. But the thing that jumps out is, is that if you say with the Brewers, and we talked about UNESCO Betancourt, but impact matters more than anything. Yeah, that's right. If you have a Ryan Braun, if you have a Prince Fielder, well, those two teams, Braun, trying to navigate Braun, Fielder, and that lineup, and the same thing with the Cardinals. I mean, Pujols, if you have a holiday. Pujols, Holiday, have, and Berkman all If together. you have those, you know, especially come postseason, you're talking about a lot of times two, three runs may be enough. Yeah. Those are the guys who make it, you know, Ryan Braun and Prince Fielder, I know that we're seeing some, you know, some production from Betancourt. I know that Nigel right. Williams had some big plays and all and that. And you need that too. You need that too. But the thing about it is, is that if you have those stars, that's the part that, that's the part that's so hard to get. Yeah, and the and the Rangers have it obviously with a Josh Hamilton and Adrian Beltre. When you can hit a Nelson Cruz sixth or seventh in your lineup, uh, you have some of that. And obviously, the they have it in Detroit. Uh, the question is, do they have enough help with the way that guys are falling apart? Physically there, I guess Delman Young's going to play, but Magli Ordonia has gone. But Miguel Cabrera, you could really say Miguel Cabrera and anyone else, but uh, almost a perfect guy behind him and Victor Martinez is a guy who's a switch hitter and who's just a pure hitter, not a power, not a thumper like the other guys were talking about, but a, a pure hitter who's probably going to make you pay if you intentionally walk Victor Martinez in front of you. So uh, I agree with you. That's a, that's a great way to put it. We're looking for impact, and that's kind of what our league top 20s are geared to. That's what all these draft report cards are coming up. That probably might be our next podcast uh, might be Jim Callis and I breaking down our draft report cards, but also JJ. There will be a World Cup post mortem. Uh, let's let that one get a hold off. Voice, hopefully, my voice will uh, be better. I'll be feeling a little better for that one. I hope so as well. Uh, as we record this, the U.S. is beating Panama by four runs. If they win that game and hold on, uh, they will. They, the, the World Cup podcast can come next week after the medal round, as opposed to the U.S. being knocked out in the uh, pool play. But uh, we'll spare I'll you the World Cup this. talk if, until next, if, if next week. If the U.S. does fall behind and get upset here today. Upset podcast! It'll still not be for John as crushing as the... Uh, Nothing will ever be that crushing. As crushing as I, I remember us. You were actually out somewhere. I was at NC State's fall practice doing a column on uh, Mike Rogers and Vern Sterry. And back mm. at, the, at the technology of the time, we were all gathered around Josh Boyd now. 
you know, who's gone prospect on to bigger Maven. and better things than but, the original uh, Prospect Maven. But Josh Boyd's uh, computer and refreshing, and we see like Joe Maurer's up. Okay, finally they put Maurer in. Oh, they had Maurer Bunt. Why were they having Maurer Bunt? And I remember, wow, I remember wow. calling you. It's like, sorry, John, you're not going to Greece because the U.S. did not make it to the Olympics. Rigo Beltran. <laughs> sorry, that was just awful. Awful. I forget the name of the first baseman. His last name was Garcia. His first name was, I think, it was Luis Garcia. I think it was. I think camera was Luis A or Luis. Uh, it was Luis A, and he had a two-run homer off Brian Bruni, and it's all coming back to me now. And let's stop. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time I, on the Baseball America podcast. I can say that that probably is the only discussion of the 2003 Olympic qualifier that you will hear anywhere on the podcast this week. With no profanity included, so that's very good. All right, for J.J., I'm John. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody.